The reading this morning is from Psalm 49 and can be found on page 564 from the Bibles in front of you. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the heart, I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed, And people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. Morning, everyone. Let me just say a very special welcome to Terry and Barbara Dean, who were here for a year before me and did an outstanding job running the place. Where are you, Terry and Barbara? Can I get you to welcome Terry and Barbara? You might not know Terry and Barbara, but I always feel terribly indebted to him, um, who took hold of the parish uh, the year before I came, and it's great to have you here today, Terry. Well, today we are in the fifth week on this Deeper Places series, and it's been a wonderful journey that we've been on. And we've looked at a number of topics. We've seen that faith is not a simple thing in this complex world we live in. The Psalms have invited us to enter into a life of brokenness and confession and that in that we find joy. The Psalms have given us permission to complain when we think life is not fair under God. Though as Scott rightly said, it's on that journey that we find lift as we find hope in Him. Last week we saw the whole issue of desire, our heart, and what does it actually want? Well, today we're going to look at the issue of contentment, and particularly the wisdom of contentment, and as that's such an important issue, uh, it's one that no doubt affects how we spend our money. And so let me pray as we start today's talk. Father, we do thank you for this world, this place we live in. Father, we thank you that all you've blessed us with. Father, speak to us from this psalm that we might have the wisdom of contentment in our lives 
and be generous people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the big issues that affects our contentment in life is undoubtedly the value that we attach to finances, to money. I don't think it's wrong to say that the majority of people in Australia really don't need more money. And that's nowhere more starkly seen than when you contrast what we have here today in Manly with what you've just seen on the screen in Monado. Uh, the contrast is very striking. We really don't need more money. But if we're honest, most Australians, they might not shout this out, but we still want more. We mightn't say it loudly, but we wouldn't mind a little bit more cash in our pocket. I haven't heard many people say no to a pay rise. There's a comfort that we find in having a larger balance accrue in our bank accounts, our investment accounts, our superannuation. And the reason for this, I think, is as Australians, we typically have tied happiness and contentment in life to really how secure we are financially. There's a direct correlation, I think, with the way Australians feel and think on this issue. And I want to say at the beginning, as we think about contentment, as we think about finances, um, contentment is not the desire for nothing. That's actually a Buddhist way of thinking, to eliminate desire. It's not Christianity. We are made with desires. And we saw last week, uh, they're good and they're right. They just need to be reordered to focus primarily on God and let the other issues come out underneath that. A Christian view of contentment is rather being satisfied with actually what we have and what we've been blessed with. It's to say, I'm happy with my station in life under God. Now, Paul puts it famously with the words, whether I have a little or whether I've got a lot, I find my satisfaction in Christ and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says in another part, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in a reflection on the problem of money, he says actually godliness with contentment is great game. Not gaining great riches, but having godliness with a contentment, that is great gain. And I want to say to us, when we are content, it radically affects how we view money and importantly, how we use our money. And so I want to speak on this correlation between contentment and our finances today. Now, I know when I speak on money at church, people will sometimes think, are you just wanting to get more money in the coffers at church? And I wonder if you relate to this cartoon, which I found. These two guys on the island, I'm afraid no one will ever find us. Don't worry, I give $100,000 a year to my church, my pastor will find us. My interest in talking about money is not primarily about fundraising, it never is. Though obviously there are budgets to meet every year, giving to church is good and absolutely needed. There's a finance report in your bulletin today, I thought I'd put it out today, and if you want to have a look at the Treasurer's report for nine months to September 30, it's there. Uh, as has been the case for many years, it's a very, very healthy set of numbers. 
And that's because people have given very, very generously. And if you've just joined the congregation in the last year, you've joined a very generous church that loves giving. And that's a wonderful thing. But my talk today is not about budgets. It's actually about our spiritual life, my spiritual life and yours, under God, and that we go to a deeper place of contentment, which allows us to be even more generous and find greater joy in knowing and serving God. And I want to do two things today. Uh, I want to firstly warn us about the danger of trusting in money. And we're going to look at a very powerful psalm. I've actually never heard it preached in church, though it needs to be. And it's a wonderful psalm of warning and wisdom. Before we look at some other passages in the psalms and a New Testament passage to encourage us to be generous with money. So I want to warn you about the danger of trusting in money and then encourage you to be generous with money. But firstly, a warning about the danger of trusting in money. And if you've got your Bibles there, open up. We're at Psalm 49 and it's page 565. I'd love you to follow along and have a look at some of the key verses as we go through. The first four verses set the scene. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I'll turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. Now, there's all sorts of different categories of psalms. We've seen some of them. The confession psalms, powerful first-person expressions of their sin and brokenness. One of the major areas or categories of psalms are the laments, which we saw two weeks ago. This week, we're looking at what's called a wisdom psalm. They don't so much invite us in the way the confession or the lament psalms to operate, that we make their words our words, Rather, this is really a word that's been spoken to us. Hear this, all you peoples. And it's worth noting, because the topic is money and its deceptive power, it's to both the low and the high. It's to both the rich and the poor. The issue of money and what I do with it and the value that I attach to it is one that everyone needs to grapple with and to be wise about. So whether you've got a name that is known around Manly or known in Sydney... Or whether you think no one knows me, whether you earn north of a million dollars every year, or whether you're just surviving on social security. This psalm and what it says is relevant to all of us. And the closing line of the psalm says it all. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. The issue that the psalmist wants to address with us today is not whether we possess wealth. The issue is having wealth without wisdom, without understanding, without God's view on it. And so it's a challenge about what value do we place on our money? And what are we actually doing with our finances? Where do you actually find meaning and contentment in your life is really the underlying question. And who and what do you really trust in? There's three major warnings about money in this psalm. Firstly, money can deceive us. 
have a look at verse 5 and 6 as really the sermon in this psalm gets started. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. It's worth noting, uh, this is a word to the godly, to the righteous, to those who are trusting in God. And he's writing it to, in a sense, give a word of encouragement in the warning. He says, why should I fear when evil days come, when the wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? And you see, this is the great deception of money. People begin to trust in it. And the other deceptive thing about money is the way it works in us, so that when we have growing incomes and growing assets, we start to think we are better than what we really are. And our pride explodes. And money can do lots of positive things in this world. I'm not against money. And I'll speak on that later on. But money absolutely can deceive us to think that if I have enough, I will be secure. And we forget God. And rather than trusting in him, we trust in the size of our assets, our stock portfolios, our investments, our property, our bank balances, our earning capacities. You see, the problem is this, money cannot deliver us from God's judgment, is what this psalm is going to say. Uh, Money can't save you from the reality of death. Money can't bring you a deep and lasting happiness. And more than that, money will deceive us to think that we are someone just because we have lots of it. We can show it off, we can build bigger homes, we can get flashier cars, we can buy more expensive clothing, we can experience more exotic holidays. But when we do that, we think, hey, I'm doing pretty well, aren't I? And our pride and our ego grows and we become boastful. It might not be flamboyantly so, but we start to think we've arrived. And at that moment, the psalmist would say, actually, you're being deceived. Despite our most slavish devotion to the idea that increasing our wealth will increase our well-being... Listen to what two psychologists found when they researched this topic in America. Ed Denier and Martin Seligman. They wrote an article, Beyond Money, Towards an Economy of Wellbeing. And they made this concluding statement about American culture, and I don't think we're far from it. Although economic output has risen steeply over the last decades... There's been no rise in life satisfaction during the period. There's been actually a substantial increase in depression and distrust. And so personal well-being has actually gone down in terms of mental health. Uh, Personal relationships in terms of distrust has also gone down as they researched the country, though money had gone up. And isn't this exactly what you see with so many people? Growing wealth, growing pride growing self-sufficiency, yet also typically a decrease in happiness and contentment. Money and wealth are very deceptive. And if you want a personal example, and I don't want to pick on him at one level, but I've never seen a more poignant example of how money does not make you happy, just look at James Packer. I've never seen a person with so much, financially speaking, and yet so unhappy, personally speaking. 
Money can deceive us. Secondly, money can't save us. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. And what the psalmist is grappling with this uh, or is saying to us here is this. uh, It doesn't matter how much money you've got, you can never redeem your life with it. It's not like you can get your checkbook out when you arrive in heaven and say, well, what does it cost to get in God? Surely I've got enough zeros that I can put on the end that you'll be impressed and you'll open the door. Psalmist says, no, it doesn't work that way. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. Our money deceives us because we think we're secure because of it. But you leave it all behind when you die and you have to meet God on your own. And the only person or thing that can ransom our lives is the precious, costly blood shed by our Lord Jesus Christ, which is of immeasurable worth. And it's only by the death and the shed blood of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, that our lives can be paid for and ransomed. And so what this is saying is money can't save you with God. Eventually you'll meet him at the judgment and it doesn't matter how much you've got, it's all worthless. Money can't twist God's arm. We need to have our lives ransomed by something else and we know that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet what's fascinating for me is how many of us think quietly to ourselves, well, if I just had a little bit more money, my life would be better. Just have a look at this cartoon. We heard you won a ton of money from online gambling. You haven't met us, actually, but we're your long-lost relatives and we're here to get our cut. Now, I put that up because that actually is what happens when people come into enormous windfields with lottery wins. All of a sudden, they come out of the woodwork. We're your friends. What do I get? And it's a very, if I can say, crass example of how we're just not satisfied or content with what we've got. We just think if we've got a bit more, we'll be happy. And that's why I love that cartoon. And we just need to hear what the psalmist is saying to us. Money is deceptive. Money cannot ransom our life. When it comes to spiritual matters, it has no value in saving you. Thirdly, And importantly, money will actually run out in the end. When you've got a big bank balance or property acquisitions or investment portfolios or superannuation reserves, uh, one of the problems is you think that the money will always be there because you can see it in the account. And there's a reality to it. It probably will be there, but not in eternity. And it dulls our spiritual senses. Listen to how the psalmist continues. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. You see, when you die, you can't take your money with you. And the problem is this, we think we make our money, so therefore we can keep our money and we own our money. But you are actually who you are because God has made you. You are who you are and you have what you have because God has blessed you and the wealth that we have is actually a gift from God 
And our role with what we're blessed with is to be stewards of it. The issue is never how much you have, it's what are you doing with it. And if you've got great wealth, then you can be a great steward of that wealth and very generous with that wealth. If you've got small amounts of wealth, well, you can use that wealth and be stewards of it. But eventually, whether we've got much or little, the wealth will actually have to be handed over to someone else. And our role, while we have it, is to steward it, because eventually it will be gone. And I want you to hear the warnings of what the psalmist says in verses 11 through to 15. And I just want to preach it to you. Friends, their tombs will remain their houses forever. Their dwellings for endless generations. Though they had names, lambda, sorry, though they had named lands after themselves, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. They're like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of all their followers who approve of their sayings. They are like the sheep and they are destined to die. Death will actually be their shepherd. But the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. In other words, it doesn't matter how big your house is, on this side of the grave is what he's saying. It means nothing on the other side where you will decay and rot. Our wealth will not make us endure when death comes, it's all over. And the word to the wise is in verse 15 onwards. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. And he's speaking to those who trust in God. And they follow and serve God. And so do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases. It's a great word for people who live on the northern beaches and you see the property market go up. Don't be overawed by that. Because they're not going to take anything with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed. And people praise you when you prosper. And that is the reality. People who've got money are often spoken well of and people want to be beside them. Well, those ones, they'll actually join those who've gone before them and they'll never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. It's a very sobering warning, isn't it? How good to be in church this morning. <laughs> I mean, you just woke up this morning. That's just what I want to hear when I come to church today. Let me say, we need to hear this because we've got a culture that loves money and thinks it really is the answer. And friends, it's saying it's deceptive, it won't save you, and at the end of the day, it's all going to be gone. The wise person takes that absolutely into account when they look at the wealth that they've been blessed with. The big issue is not having wealth, it's what it says in verse 20, it's having wealth without understanding, you could say wealth without wisdom. And so how do you have wealth with wisdom? 
I want to say to you, you find your contentment in knowing God. Listen to what Psalm 62 says. Psalm 62 verse 5 says this, Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. In other words, that's where I find my contentment, my satisfaction, my rest in God, my hope from him. And he also says in that psalm, in verse 10, Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches may increase, do not set your heart on them. In other words, it's our hearts that are so important when you come to the question of finance and wealth and money. Where is your heart set? Is it on the increase of it or is it in hoping and trusting and finding rest in God? Which leads me to my second point, the need to be generous with money. Before I look at those verses, I wonder if you can relate to this story. Now, I've got Scottish background. My grandfather was Alec Fraser and uh, my great-grandfather was a Presbyterian Scottish minister who came out and ministered up in Yamba. And there's a story about a man in Scotland. He rang his son in London the day before Christmas Eve and he said to him, look, son, I hate to ruin your day. I know it's Christmas tomorrow, but I have to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing. 45 years of misery is enough. The son is just stunned on the end. What are you saying, Dad? What are you talking about? And his father just quietly said to him, look, we just can't stand the sight of each other any longer. We're sick of each other. We fight all the time. So can you call your sister in Leeds and let her know? Frantically, the son called his sister and he explained on the phone what had happened. And the sister responded with a great sense of fury. No way they're getting divorced. She said, don't worry, I'm going to take care of this. So she rang her dad in Scotland immediately and she actually screamed at her father and said, look, dad, there's no way you're getting divorced. Don't do a single thing until I get there. I'm calling my brother back and we'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't do a thing. Do you hear me, Dad? She hung up. Anyway, the father hung up the phone and turned to his wife. All sorted. They're coming for Christmas. (laughs) And the good news, honey, is they're paying their own way. (laughs) Now, I've got a daughter in London. Do you think I could use that one? (laughs) She's coming, already coming out for Christmas. Now, I've got spl- Scottish blood. I can laugh at that. Um, and I was pretty tight growing up. I did not like giving money away. The positive message of the Bible is when it comes to money, it's very simple. Find your contentment and rest in God and be generous and a good steward with what he's blessed you with. Have a look at Psalm 112 and Psalm 37. I've got them on the screen. So Psalm 49 is the psalm of warning, but you've got statements of encouragement. Psalm 112 verse 5. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. And a very strong encouragement is there. Use your money well and justly. Don't rip people off. And be generous with it and lend freely with it. You see, that's what the godly person does. Psalm 37, the wicked borrow and don't repay, they rip people off. But the righteous, they actually do the opposite. Rather than ripping people off, they are generous with their finances. Verse 25 of Psalm 37 goes on. I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. 
They're always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. And you see, what this psalm and the previous one, Psalm 112, is saying is, this is the nature of righteous people, people who trust in God and want to serve him. And I'd say it's the people who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you are my Lord, I want to serve you. The outworking of that is we find our joy in knowing God, our rest in him, our contentment in him, and we view our finances to be stewarded under him. And the word that typically always describes our attitude to money is generosity. It's the marker of Christian faith, generosity with our finances. And so why be generous? Well, I want to say a couple of things. Firstly, it's good for you spiritually, and secondly, it's good for others, and it's good for the gospel. I'm going to read a passage. I'll put it up on the screen in a moment. There it is there. And if you've got your Bibles there, open up. Uh, if you want to move to the New Testament, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, and it's on page 1162 and 63. Very important passage on giving and money and contentment. And Paul's talking to a church that was not wealthy, but were giving generously. And he says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So if you're going to be stingy, well, you're going to reap in a stingy way under God. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or uncompulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful is hilaros, which is where we get hilarity from. And so I always pick my best jokes for this day because we want laughter in the house as we think about giving because that's what Paul is saying. God loves it when we are laughing and giving, cheerful givers. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good word. There's literally four phrases or descriptions of all. Abundance, all things, all you need, every good work. As it's written, they have freely scattered the gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. As I said before, it is good for us spiritually to give and be generous. You see, when we hold on to money, we trust in money. We love money. And we think money is what will give us contentment and happiness in life. When we're generous with our money rather than holding on to it but releasing it, we actually realise we're stewards and we find our joy in using our money under God wisely for his purposes. And generosity helps break the shackle of materialism and greed in our life and to find joy and contentment. You see, you're going to have a decision today, if you've never made this before, which thing are you actually going to trust in and believe you're going to find joy from? Is it acquisition and finance or generosity with finance and God and trusting him with your life and your money? And Paul here says, when you are generous, it leads to knowing the blessing of God on your life and in your life, and that he loves a cheerful giver. 
and that he's able to bless you abundantly. And one of the things I want to say to you, and say it to myself as well, do I want the blessing of God on my life? Amen? Be generous in this area of your life if you want the blessing of God on your life. Now, it's good for others and it's good for the gospel. And there's a very interesting phrase there in verse 10. If you go back on the screen, if you're looking in your Bibles, he says in verse 10, Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. In other words, everything we have is because God has blessed you. And so as you give it, he says, you will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And your righteousness is your trust and your following of Christ. And there is a fruitfulness that comes from righteous people's lives that's born out of their service of God. And in the area of generosity, there is also a harvest of fruitfulness that comes as you trust God and are generous with your finances. And it comes because as you give to people in need, you are helping them. As you are giving to the poor, you're alleviating poverty. As you're giving to the gospel and ministries, the gospel is going forward. As you give to support a church plant, a new community is being established. As you support the work of gospel ministry, the gospel prospers. And there's so many different things and in different ways that as we give our, as we give our finances wisely under God to support the work of the gospel and people in need, there is blessing and fruitfulness and a harvest is born. And I want to say to you, don't you want to be a part of that? Now, I got kindly invited to a dinner on Friday night, the International Justice Mission. And there's a number of people who are here there. And uh, Kim Randall is a director who comes here at 10. They have an incredible ministry rescuing people caught in sex trafficking and sex slaves. It was a very moving night. And I was very glad and honoured to be there. And of course, at the end of the night, they say, you're going to give. Now, how do you walk away from that? <laughs> of course you want to give. There's the form. And I, I filled it out and I, and I sent it off yesterday, uh, got things sorted out. So I thought, of course I want to be a part of that. And it brings joy to know you can do some good. And I'm just a small, tiny drop in the bucket at one level, but I want to be a part of that bucket. I think about our mission partners, and every week as we've heard from them, I think, yep, want to give to the Nadens and Indigenous work. Yep, want to give to the painters and what they're doing. Yep, this morning, Bridge of Hope. I mean, you look at the picture and you go, how can you not give? And I think about the church ministry here, and if this is a place you call home, I'd encourage you to give generously towards it. And so what Kathy and myself do to help us seek to be generous is a number of things. Firstly, we seek to give intentionally. Uh, generosity does not come by accident. You actually need to sit down and work out what are you going to do with your money. And we try and do that once a year. It's one of the reasons why we have this series. And I put a uh, commitment card in the hand of everyone. And you've got them there this morning. If you can get them out, I'd love you to just have them in your hands. Because I want to challenge everyone, if you call this place your home, to be generous to the work here. And we give, first of all, to the place where we are spiritually at home, which is St. Matthew's. And then we want to give to other things as well, outside of what we do here. Uh, this time of year, I always want to give a mission offering on top of what my regular offering is. And so we give intentionally and thoughtfully. Now, on top of that, you also want to give spontaneously if you want to be generous. 
And there'll be occasions where you go, you're confronted with need and you go, yep, I just need to give. It was like that on Friday night. Came, I didn't even tell my wife. I came home and said, I gave some money. She just said, good. Amen. We give regularly. I use direct debit. And if you want to be generous, use direct debit. You know why? Because you won't forget. And also, you won't see it. It's painless. <laughs> it really is. I never see the money. So I don't have to worry about it. It's all gone. And that's a great way to give because then you realise what you can live on. Uh, thirdly, the first thing I do with my money is not work out my income in terms of loans. I work out what I can give. So that, that's all taken care of, first of all. And that's what the Proverbs say. The first fruits is what we should give to God and his work. And in the Old Testament, it's tithing. In the New Testament, it's generosity. And so tithing was tenthing. In the New Testament, I take it, that's where you start and you work your way up. And the more you've got, the more you can be generous, is what I think. Um, we start with the tithe personally, we give that to St. Matt's, and then we try and give over and above to other things. And I want to grow in generosity every year, that we keep giving more and more away. Because honestly, I can't take it with me. And so I want to use it well now. And here's the last thing, and this is what Paul says, you can give confidently. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So here's the thing. Who do you really trust in life is going to look after you? Is it God? And that's the question you've got to ask yourself. Because what Paul is saying is actually God is the one who blesses you and provides you with what you have and he will increase your capacity to do that so that you can be generous on every occasion. Do you trust your money and find joy and contentment there? Or do you find joy and contentment in knowing God and serving him and using all that you have to prosper his cause and help his people and bring help and relief to a world full of suffering and pain. Friends, I want to stop and ask us to be quiet and to spend some time praying. In previous weeks, we've invited you to come up to the sanctuary and pray. I thought this morning we're just going to stop and sit in our seats and quietly reflect. How am I finding contentment in God and how can I be generous? with all that he's blessed me with. Well, let me encourage you to do that right now. And just, I'm going to finish with a prayer. But let's just have a moment to be quiet and reflect on all that we have and that we might trust God and be generous with all that he's blessed us with. Father, we just thank you that we live in this place in this time of the world and there are so many blessings that we have and we have so much in comparison to others in the world father may we find our contentment in you so that we're not hankering for more so that we're satisfied with what we have so that we can grow in generosity and enlarge the harvest of our righteousness, which we have in Christ. 
may we grow, and I thank you, Lord, this is a very generous church. But Lord, may it not stop where it is, but may, it conti- may we continue to grow in generosity towards people in need, ministries bring compassion, gospels going out, churches being planted, ministries being supported, and the church here at St Matthew's growing and prospering under you. Father, we just thank you for everything we have. We trust you with it. May we be wise stewards of it. In Jesus' name, amen.